Well, I hope uh, you have enjoyed the eight-week introduction to the second letter of John. It was called First John. Did you notice how many themes were similar between the letter that we just heard read and the one we've been working on for the last eight weeks? Nods. Yeah. Well, I'm really thankful that they've given me this passage to speak on because it's going to be stuff that you've all heard before, most likely. And when you get repetitive themes and ideas in the Bible, it's usually because it's important and worth repeating. So if you turned off and thought, ah, oh, I've heard all this. We've been working on this for the last eight weeks. Hang in there. Keep listening. Because we've got this opportunity to look at this letter of Second John in its entirety. You know, we get to see what a pastor's perspective is as he's talking to one particular group of Christians from beginning to end. We don't get that opportunity much. You can't open the Bible very often and see an entire book that we call it on one page. But you can do that with Second John. So we're going to do that. We're going to take a look at the perspective of this writer because clearly it's the elder named John writing to a church in Ephesus and he's speaking about similar things that he's been speaking about all through his first letter. So we're going to do that. We're going to look at it in three ways. Maybe as we look at the perspective of this pastor, it might give you insight to the heart of your pastor, Dan, and the heart of your senior minister, Paul. But here's the three views that we're going to look at. There's no slides on the screen tonight, but I'm keeping it pretty simple. Here's the three views of the pastor in 2 John. We're going to see the pastor's pleasure, the pastor's problem, and the pastor's plea. We're going to jump into verse 4, the pastor's pleasure. The pastor's pleasure is when Christians are walking with Jesus. It's really that simple. Verse 4, I was very glad, very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. The pastor's pleasure is when Christians are walking in the truth. And walking in the truth, I don't even feel like I need to explain what that is because we've been talking about it for the last eight weeks. So I am actually going to see how well Dan's taught First uh, John and ask somebody to be bold and actually either stand up or speak loud and say, what does John mean when he says walking in the truth? What's he talking about? Someone be bold. Yes. Yes, beautiful, perfect. Um, that's good. I've got a definition here, but I think that's just as good. Walking in the truth means to live in accordance with the truth of the gospel message, which you just said, as it was received in the beginning. So as it was handed down from Jesus to the apostles and then onto the churches. And walking in the truth is keeping a command received from the Father, it says in verse 4. And the command is to believe in the Son and obey His commands. And we've heard this before. This is 1 John 3.23. Now this is God's command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. And what's Jesus' command? Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 15.10, Jesus says, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. 
you understand how this is fitting together? Walking in the truth is walking in the truth about Jesus. Verses 5 and 6 continue. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I was writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command as you have heard it from the beginning. You must walk in love. The pastor's pleased as Christians are walking in the truth about Jesus, showing itself in obedience and love. I mean, you look at verse 4 and you just see this, the elder is expressing his joy in the way that some of the members in the church are living out their lives. And in verses 5 and 6, he states his desire to see the loving relationship that he has with that group of believers to continue. They already have a good relationship. They already have a loving relationship based on truth. And he urges that church to continue in it, remain in it. His joy is that Christians were living lives that honoured Jesus. I think this is an insight into your pastor's heart. I think he has great joy when he sees you living lives that honour Jesus. So, like, translated into this church's context, I'm sure Paul, Dan, and all the pastors here are stoked when you're living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. That's the mission of this church, to see disciples living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. And that sums up pretty much that section there in verses 4 to 6. That's what pleases your pastor, that you'd be living for Jesus, walking in the truth, and loving like Jesus, obeying God and loving one another. This is why when we gather together midweek and we gather together here on Sunday, we open up God's Word. Because it is the truth that holds the gospel message and we need to keep coming back to it and back to it because the truth shapes us to be those who love in the right way, according to God. The Bible is God's story unfolded through history, history ultimately concerning the truth about His Son, Jesus. So if Dan's prayer is that you're walking in truth, he has to teach the Bible. If Dan's prayer is that you're obeying God and loving like Jesus, he has to teach the Bible. He has to let God's voice be heard in order that we'd change. Because through the Scriptures, we learn to love God, love one another, and love the world like Jesus. You know, we've sort of had a moment to share how we've been going at that as we've talked about taking love this week. Uh, it was interesting to, to hear how there was failures and successes. Uh, personally, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I found that I didn't succeed in doing all the steps of taking love to the community. But, you know, I find encouraging somebody really easy. So there was a girl in my hive group uh, who was auditioning with Dan to be one of the singers, not this Dan, that Dan, to be one of the singers. And she hasn't had that audition, but yet there was a need to be filled on Sunday night and she filled in and sung wonderfully. And so I spent time encouraging her because I thought that what a, what a big step to take in serving the church in that way. And it was interesting to hear Shen's story about his neighbour and struggling to connect with his neighbour, but I have 
the neighbour that lives on the left-hand side of my place, and he's, I don't think he works, but he just plays guitar all day and wakes my baby as he's working on guitar riffs, and he's really, really silent. So I've tried to engage him in conversation, and he's just one of those introverted, closed-off men, just mm, mm. And when I got the email about blessing your neighbour, I thought, oh, this is my chance. And it just so happened that I was leaving my house, and he left his house, and he said hi to me, and I thought that was a massive surprise, so I said hi back. And that was it. But I thought, there's a blessing. Yes, I've said hello to my stubborn neighbor. He knows I exist. He knows I exist. But look, I think this idea of taking love, it should happen every week. Like Dan said, you know, it shouldn't be that we pick one day and do these things, but you're a Christian. You've been shown the great love of Christ. We should be loving the world like him day by day. So I want to say that if you fail this week, get all the things. They're still on the website. You can look at the list of what to do. It's like an instruction manual. And just put them in your diary. And then stick them on, the, on repeat so they come up every week. And you get good at it. You, know, you see it enough. Know that it's a good initiative to share Christ's love in tangible ways. Just have them popping up in your diary again and again, again and again. Pray like crazy was one of the days. Pray like crazy that you would share and take love like crazy day by day. Imagine the church that we'd be if every one of us was taking love in that manner every day. People would feel it in our communities, in your homes, in the schools where our kids are, in the places where we work. I think it brings great joy to your pastor when we walk in the light and are obedient in love. But there's a problem. This is the pastor's problem. The world is a spiritual war zone. It's a spiritual war zone. Look at verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. The elder here is saying that We're in a war zone with deceivers. It's like the airways are filled with contradicting messages. There's the truth of the gospel handed down by the apostles written for us in the scriptures that we can't miss. It's right there. And then there's noise and clutter of people claiming to have truth but not having the truth. And he's made this point a number of times in the first letter, uh, in chapter 2 and chapter 4. I'm not going to go over it again and again. You see in this verse that it highlights both the plurality and the singularity of the deceivers and the deceiver and the antichrist and the antichrist. And what John's getting at is that the many who go out and deceive are men who are misled by the one deceiver. So there is a spiritual entity, a spiritual force behind the many who go out. He's talking about the father of lies, the spirit of untruth, that there is a real evil one behind the evil in the world and the deceivers are speaking his message to confuse the world from the truth of Christ. That's why it's a spiritual war, because we can't see the one behind it. The many go out under the influence or in the spirit of the Antichrist. 
Many are proclaiming what is anti-Christ. You get what I'm saying? It's anti the message of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Their message was that Jesus did not come in the flesh in 1 John and 2 John. And such a person that preaches that message is a deceiver. And this is the pastor's problem. His joy comes from seeing Christians in his care walking in truth and love. Yet there are many deceivers out there, many corrupting the truth and therefore hindering proper Christ-like love. Now, according to verse 9, these are the guys who are the ones who do not remain in the teaching of Christ but go beyond it. And consequently, they do not have God. And if they don't have God, then they can't bring a true message because God is truth. And if they don't have God, then they don't have truth. So the message is false. Do you understand? I hope the, the problem of false teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh is kind of obvious to you after you know, weeks in 1 John. But if not, I want, to, I want you to listen carefully now as I explain the issue that is if you deny Christ coming in the flesh. Because, friends, it's a salvation issue. So if you're only hearing one thing tonight, I want you to hear this. If Jesus didn't fully assume our humanity when he came in the flesh, then our sin has not been condemned and judged in his flesh on the cross. If he didn't assume our full humanity, then when the Bible says that sin was condemned and judged in his body, in his flesh on the cross, it wasn't successful. You know, the first chapter of John's Gospel, the first chapter of the first letter of John, both emphasise how the divine word came in flesh. Now, took on flesh and walked among us. John makes it just so clear that this is important. He says that we touched him. We put our hands on the flesh of the divine one who is now fully God, fully human. If he didn't assume our humanity in taking on flesh, then our sin has not been condemned and judged in Jesus' body at the cross. You see, Jesus needed to be fully man in order to die, because how can God die? He needed to be fully human in order to die, but he needed to be fully God in order to die for the sins of the whole world. Because one mere man can't take upon himself the sins of the whole world and wipe them away. But one who is God and man can. And it is to be fully met in order to die, fully God in order to die for all the world. If he wasn't both at the same time, like these false teachers are trying to say, his death for us is ineffective to save us from our sins. So Jesus coming in the flesh matters. Holding the right view of Jesus matters. It really matters. And therefore, John says, people teaching falsely about Jesus need to be called out and avoided. But like 1 John chapter 4 reminded us, we can take heart and praise God and be assured. Because in this spiritual battle, 
that's waging wars about the truth of Jesus Christ and our salvation, God has put his spirit in us, which gives us the ability to overcome, to overcome the lies. We can rejoice in that. But we have to be on guard, and this is the pastor's plea. The pastor's pleasure is when the Christians are walking in truth and love. The pastor's problem is that they're walking in a spiritual world war. And the pastor's plea is this. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves and remain in Christ's teaching. Verse 8. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Here's the crux of the elder's concern. Together, both him as the, the senior elder, the pastor, and the relationship we has with this church is built on truth about Jesus Christ, and he doesn't want them to lose it. They have a loving relationship built on the truth, but now that he's away from them, and he knows that many have gone from within them and now gone out preaching a false message, he doesn't want them to be led astray. So he says, watch yourselves and remain in Christ's teaching. If false teachers get in among that community, they might ruin all that's been worked for. Verse 9, anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. Friends, remain in Christ's teaching. We've already looked at this verse showing how false teachers don't have God, but look at it again for us as a comfort. Listen, the one who remains in that teaching... This one has both the Father and the Son. It's a statement that says to us that nothing is lacking in our faith if we, if we remain in the apostolic teaching about Jesus laid out for us in the Scriptures. Nothing is lacking. We have the Father and the Son and the Spirit indwells us. It's brilliant. We need only to remain in Christ's teaching. This is the teaching of Christ that is the truth that saves us to eternal life with God, and it's the same truth that will take you home. Don't miss out on eternal life by going beyond the gospel, you know, going further than the gospel, as if you can find God another way. No, don't do that. We have everything. We have the Father and the Son and the Spirit indwelling us if we remain in this teaching. I'm sure you've heard it said before that a Christian never graduates from the gospel, have you heard anyone say that from up the front? I've heard it a number of times because it's just so true. You know, a Christian doesn't graduate from the gospel. It's not like we do a degree in coming to faith in that Jesus died for us on the cross for our sins and we need to put our trust in Him. We don't graduate from that and go to another degree in something else. We stay with the gospel. We plumb the depths of the gospel to gain further knowledge about God. The person and work of Christ in the Bible are just a source of a lifetime's meditations. I pray that God will allow you to see the riches and the depths of his love and grace as you hear about the gospel again and again and reflect upon that fact that Jesus has saved you again and again. 
It's what gave you life. It's what will take you home. Don't put it aside as if there's something else out there. Remain in it. The second part of the pastor's plea is that Christians don't welcome deceivers. This is one of the hardest bits of this passage. Um, You'll find out why as I go into it a bit more. But verse 10, this is verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. I think this is the easy part. It says, don't welcome deceivers into your home. And this is a word from from the elder on the consequences of hospitality. You know, first and second century hospitality is different from the way we do it now. But in the first or second century, um, providing hospitality to someone, it changed their status within the community. So you could be a stranger coming into a community, but if somebody welcomed you into their home, then your social status changes. And you're no longer a stranger anymore. You're considered as one of the community. And you get rights that you didn't have and uh, social status that you didn't have. So welcoming someone into their home was essentially vouching for them, saying, these guys or this person is just like one of us. There was no universal brotherhood in the Mediterranean, ancient Mediterranean world. So if you receive someone into your home, perhaps who was an itinerant teacher, like I think the problem here in 2 John and 1 John might have been, a preacher that didn't bring orthodox teaching, Well, doing so was actually to commend them to the community and say, yep, he's one of us. You can't have a disagreement, you can't disrespect, you can't dishonour that person anymore because he's under my roof. That's sort of how it worked. So you can understand where John's going. Can you see how it might be problematic if they welcome in a false teacher into their homes? It's like it gives them a platform to go out and just cause havoc in the community. You know, if you're a community of Christian house churches, you know, first, second century Ephesus, and you welcome in a false teacher to your home, that person's got the opportunity and under law and under the social status that you grant him to then teach falsely, not only to the house churches of Christians, but then if they they go out from your house, then all the people looking on from the outside will see, oh, he's just one of them. So we'll listen to him about Jesus. And these are the guys who are saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. See how it's problematic? So I think that's kind of simple in the idea that um, welcoming somebody into your home will change the society's perception of them. But how is this a problem for us today? You know, I've seen some white eyes looking at me going, yeah, but this doesn't matter. This is like second century Ephesus. We're in 21st century Sydney. Well, think about it this way. I have an aunt. She is a lovely woman one of the only Christian women in my family. Uh, And that being said, I would not want her to teach Sunday school to my children. Or I would not welcome her to this church to teach Sunday school. Because she's a Catholic. And while I believe she has a faith in Jesus that is a real faith, she might teach those children that, well, if you do bad, that's okay, you just need to do penance. But really, kids are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, that's okay, let's just pray to Mary. But I don't want children praying to Mary. 
I want them praying to their heavenly Father through Jesus Christ who sits at his right hand. So I think who we welcome into our homes or who we welcome into our churches, it really matters. I don't think Church by the Bridge would welcome prosperity teachers to their platforms and say, here, why don't you preach a few sermons? What would that say about Church by the Bridge? It would say, we endorse this person. But the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It's an abhorrent abhorrent gospel. It ruins people's lives. But by putting them in your home, on your stage, in front of your people, you're basically saying, yeah, listen to him, he's one of us. Or she's one of us, they're one of us. I think great discernment is really needed here. But lives are at stake. Eternal lives are at stake. The plea of the pastor is don't let those kind of people into your home. Don't welcome them. Give them status or commend them. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't say, welcome to him. For the one who says, welcome to him, shares in his evil evil works. Don't welcome deceivers into your home and he says, don't even say hello. (laughs) Don't greet them. I find this is the the hardest part to deal with. Don't even say hello. It sounds like it's not even Christian. Know where to welcome everyone, love everyone. Whoever it is, love them, say hello. How can saying hi to a false teacher make you share in their evil works? The only way this makes sense to me is by combining the immediate context of what we just looked at in the welcoming section there, that we commend them, that we give them status which is an endorsement socially, and also just taking in light of how the New Testament writers say hello. Look at me, look at, look at how the New Testament writers say hello in this letter. You thought I was going to leave it, but I'm not going to leave it. Verses 1 to 3, listen. To the elect lady and her children. Now that's just a metaphor for that church over there, to you Christians in that church. But listen to the word, to the elect lady and her children. I love all of you in the truth, and not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth, because the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And he ends the letter with, that same, with this same loving language. Listen, though I have many things to write, for, write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. Just being with them somehow completes this joy. And he ends saying, the children of your elect sister send you greetings. As you can see, this elect sister, the elect woman, it's two churches talking to one another. But just look how loaded that hello is. (laughs) It's a written letter. It's just saying, hi. It's obnoxiously Christian. It's to the elect, from the elect, meaning the the ones chosen by God. It's saturated with love, founded in the truth. You know, stating that the truth remains in us and will be with us forever. Like it's talking about our unity with Christ. 
Grace, mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and Jesus his Son in truth and love. This is just one example. You read Paul's letters, they're just the same. They're a distinct Christian greeting from one Christian to other Christians. This kind of hello says to the person receiving it, Hey, Christian. Hey, you're a Christian. And I think the elders have been careful to point out that the false teachers even though they might have once been among the community, no longer have God. They're no longer a Christian. In fact, they never were Christians. This is 1 John 2.19. He's talking about the deceivers. He says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. So this type of hello to a false teacher, it's just marking them as your brother or your sister. It's not for them. Saying welcome in this type of instance is sharing in their evil works by endorsing them as one of God's children while you know they distort the truth. That's what I think this is trying to say. And the elder says, don't do it. Don't do it. So the question is, who are you welcoming as a Christian that clearly deny him as Lord by their words and deeds? Just look, it says, for the one who says welcome shares in his evil works. Like, it's serious. But we do it because we want to believe the best in people. And because we don't know their hearts. Only God knows the hearts of people. But the elder in 2 John here says that there's evidence that we can see that tells us where where a person is at with Jesus. If you want to be someone who denies the Trinity, you're probably not a Christian. If you think the prosperity gospel is a great thing, you're probably not a Christian. It's a false gospel. So is there anyone who you're embracing as a Christian who maybe you shouldn't be? Well, 2 John says it's unwise because it says to them, you're okay with God. That's what saying hi to a false teacher does or someone who has a wrong belief about Jesus. It's saying you're okay with God when really they're not. They're not. Perhaps they need to repent of sin and turn back to Christ or turn fully to him for the first time. I mean, it's a hard, hard verse, but we need to take it serious. Jesus demanded wholehearted allegiance to himself as Lord. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. A loving pastor sounds a lot like Jesus. Let me finish by reading some words from Jesus' mouth that sound a lot like what the elder of 2 John said. This is John 15. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. 
No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And this is Luke 21.8. Jesus said, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray knowing that sometimes we need to hear things over and over again. That we need to pick up our cross day by day. Living for your son Jesus and loving like him. Father, we're thankful that in the midst of this spiritual warfare, you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we might stand firm. And Father, we're thankful for these letters written by the apostles, showing us the truth about Christ. Father, please help us to stick to the gospel and have our lives shaped by the gospel, dig deeper into the gospel that shows how deep your love is for each and every one of us. And I pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.